Welcome to Stacey on the Right, the podcast. And I'm so excited to have with me today, Catherine Doyle. She's the White House reporter for the Washington Examiner. The website is WashingtonExaminer.com. I go there frequently during the week to get my news and all of the special reporting and, of course, the opinions over there. Fantastic. Catherine, thank you for coming on today. Thanks so much, Stacey. So let's let's get into it. First of all, you uh, frequently are in the briefing room. You are the White House reporter. And the big announcement coming into the new year is that they reduced the number of seats available at the White House briefing room for the daily briefing from Jen Psaki uh, because of COVID-19 and the Omicron variant. Were you a part of that reduction? Yeah, we're a part of that reduction. Every seat in the briefing room has now been reduced. And it's incredibly frustrating. You know, we had this process when before we had the vaccines and and really up until about June this year, before they started opening it back up again. And they continued to keep the events at limited capacity. And now they're returning to this limited capacity in the briefing room. And and it's it's an issue for the press and it's an issue for the kinds of questions that, that we can ask the president, that we can ask the president's chief spokesperson. So there's there's a, a lack of access now. And that is something that the president said on the campaign trail that he would actually have the epitome of the opposite of that. He said he would have the most transparent administration. And so while I understand that there are some concerns with the Omicron variant being so mild, basically the equivalent of the common cold and people recovering from it within days, why not implement another testing scheme or, um, you know, the, the reduction seats seems so drastic. Yes, they've advised people, even with the reduced seats, to test themselves. But you're right, a, a, a broader testing program and more availability for the seats would make a big difference and would allow people to continue doing their jobs and also to continue holding the administration accountable and asking questions every day that the public needs answers to. So speaking of answers, uh, we saw the end of 2021 and you know, I, I felt like the Biden administration didn't have signature achievements that they could kind of go out of the year on. And they're coming into 2022 a little bit. Um, it's, it's not like coming in like a lion roaring on 2021's uh, achievements. And there was a statement that the president made going out of last year. He said, the COVID-19 pandemic and the solution to it is not a federal problem. It's a state problem. And so after campaigning on doing the exact opposite of President Trump, campaigning on this idea that he had all of the answers to how to bring America out of the pandemic, it was an admission that to me felt stunning and uh, kind of put Democrats on the defensive. Yeah, this about face by Biden really on the uh, on delegating in, in that way was surprising. And I think that we've seen some confusing messaging first on, on COVID, but also, you know, on their on their broader legislative agenda, they came into office, they said, you know, we're, we're the professionals, we, we've been here before, we have staff who've worked in the White House many, many years during the Obama administration, and, and we're ready to get down to work. And now we're entering 2022, and Democrats still have a host of unmet priorities. Um, campaign promises that Biden ran on, um, and a lot of pressure from the left wing of the party to enact some of them. Some of the bigger ones, like uh, student loan forgiveness, have been sort of punted down the road for at least a few months, thanks to executive action from um, the administration. But we're looking now at Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer saying that voting rights legislation will be the next big ticket legislative item for, for Democrats in Congress. I mean, what this looks like for Democrats in the elections that are coming up next year, who knows? But it doesn't seem promising when you see 
candidates running for Senate who two months ago said that they were not going to uh, tack far to the left and that they were going to represent everybody in a state were they elected. I'm thinking of Connor Lamb, who today uh, released a video saying that he was fully in favor of the filibuster reform that Democrats are are pushing for, some Democrats are pushing for, um, and that one of my colleagues described as campaigning um, for the primary to lose the general. So why would they employ this tactic at this point? Is it desperation or, or is it a lack of uh, direction within the party? Because it, they're actually working really hard in the redistricting arena to eliminate Republican seats. Illinois, uh, Maryland, these are states that have Republicans in them. But once they're done with redistricting, if those maps stand, they will have no congressional representation for the Republicans in their states. Um, so they're, they're actually are, they look as if they're trying to do something about the midterm and the impending doom that, that they think might be their reality. But this goes against that. It does. I think that they're under enormous uh, political pressure from the left wing of their party to attack uh, far to the left on, on their policies and on some of the issues that um, Democrats are unhappy that they, Biden hasn't pushed through yet after one year, coming up to one year in office. I think that, you know, there are other factions in the party, other members of other other political operatives in the Democratic Party who are trying hard to make sure that through redistricting to make sure that they can hold on to power. but. Um, I think that on a messaging front, certainly people are concerned that Biden could face opposition from the left, even if it's only to try and push him further left in 2024. So now with with the the advent of all of this and the, the, there's a also polling out that shows the president underwater in 45 states, um, the, the Democrats normally and I know nothing's normal now, but I, I do I can still remember when. If a president was unpopular, Democrats would, without saying, I'm not like him, they would begin to campaign and say, well, that's, you know, that's federal policy. I want to rep- represent you on the local level or I want to represent you as a constituent. Here are the things that I want to do. And they would basically message the president or the vice president or whoever the problematic member of their party was. They would message them out by simply not mentioning them, not just ignoring their policies. Um, this is something that is kind of like suicidal. It's politically suicidal to take a hard left turn in the face of opposition from not just Republicans, but Democrats as well. I, I find this interesting because it actually will exacerbate the impending doom of the midterms if they continue on this way. Yeah, I think the Democrats, uh, many of them are sort of in, a, in between a rock and a hard place. You know, um, just two months ago, somebody like Connor Lamb was saying that he was not going to tack to the left. He was, he said, if you want a senator who runs as a socialist, feeds the GOP attack ads and didn't help with infrastructure, I'm not your guy. And now it seems that he's really succumbing to what it is that the leadership of the party and, and the representatives in Washington, the White House, really want from him and that he's ascribing to the party line. So now that we see kind of the the, the, the new lay of the land, what is your expectation for Republicans? Because it, it's um, I, I can remember lots of joking around in previous midterms, Republicans snatching defeat from the jaws of victory, you know, Republicans having unforced <laughs> errors. And I, I, I'm loath to actually think that would happen because let's face it, Catherine, this country needs a change in leadership in Congress. And I don't just mean 
you know, just different bodies to come in. We need some common sense people to come in there. And and I'm, you know, I'm Stacy on the right. So obviously I, I'm a Republican. I'm on the right side of the political aisle. But I'm talking about people who know how to go in and negotiate, who know how to go in and say, you know, I will not support filibuster reform or I will not support packing the courts to kind of reset the table so we can get some legislative priorities for Americans done because we do have some very systemic problems that we're facing as a country and those are going unaddressed like our southern border. It's going unaddressed because we have leadership there now that is simply obsessed with non-priority issues and keeping those at the forefront of our conversation. Yeah, I think people are wondering how much Republicans are going to help the Democrats achieve any of their legislative priorities in this new year. And I think that depending on how that pans out for some of them, that will probably bode um, their success in in re-election or or lack of success. I think that for now, I think it seems like Republicans are really waiting for the the party leadership and and some other Republicans are really waiting for Democrats to um, hang themselves with their own policies. But we'll, and are using are using Democrats' um, own failures and struggles to message against them. But um, we'll have to see what comes down the line as these months begin to approach um, election time. So um, we kind of talked about the lay of the land at the White House and the congressional. Uh, you know, whatever whatever the impending doom is, we have to wait and see because. Even though we're within striking distance of November, it's still a very long time away. Politically, anything can happen between now and then. And I think the Democrats are counting on anything rather than, you know, kind of the the it's a it's kind of a hobbledygook of of different things that are happening with them. And they don't have a clear message. But I've seen them before come out of a malaise like this, uh, you know, unified and with purpose. And they've somehow been able to save things. So I'm, I'm taking nothing for granted. Is there anything else news wise you would say is really on your on your your front burner or your radar coming into 2022? Because it's it's the first week of the year. And I think we're all kind of shaking off the holidays. But there's there's a lot of news. There's a lot of attention on Senator Joe Manchin after the end of the end of last year um, and Biden's big push to get him on board with the social spending plan. So uh, Manchin said today that he hadn't been in touch with the Biden with the with the White House since since last year. Um, you know, it's we're coming we're in the we're in the first week of January, but uh, these weeks are going to start to tick by. And Biden has been doing other things in this time, so it was surprising. I think at least to some that on a Tuesday, um, no discussions had had progressed and that really the situation was just as it was before. I think that leads some people to wonder what the fate of Biden's big bill will be this year um, and whether if it gets broken up, uh, they will be able to get Republican votes on some parts of it and how how that will affect the, the political landscape throughout the year. Oh, that's a fascinating thing to think through. I, so I'm I'm kind of 50-50 on it, Catherine, because it, if Republicans make the mistake of partnering up with Democrats to pass legislative agendas, then they run the risk of being called rhinos during election season. So they might just hold back and say, look, we, 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 we're not helping. What, what good would that do? We're going to wait till the midterms. And then afterwards, we can pass our own agenda. Um, but the ones who help, depending on what it is, I mean, the legislative priority, the Democrats are just awful right now. Um, it's going to be interesting to watch them make those calculated decisions and then kind of reap the whirlwind of results afterwards. Yes. If you dig into some of the provisions inside of the Build Back Better bill, I mean, some of it is uh, just 
really surprising. You know, you'll see $50 million for, for expanded doula care, for instance, and other uh, home care provisions and other, other massive spending on issues that I think could be really problematic for any Republicans if they were to get behind us. Well, we'll see what they do. Catherine Doyle, White House reporter for The Washington Examiner. Thank you for your time today. It's great to talk to you in the new year. Thanks, Stacey. All right. Talk to you again soon. So that is the podcast for today. I'm so glad that you could join us. Find out more at familyvisionmedia.org and stacyonthewright.com. Until next time.